Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we just pray that you will speak to us today because, Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your words. That's why we're here, Lord. Open up the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you. Open up our ears and our eyes that we may hear you, Lord. And we pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Every piece of news information needs to be evaluated, whether it be the headlines of the newspaper or a simple restaurant recommendation from a friend. We have this tendency to evaluate our news. How do we do that? We usually ask ourselves two questions. First, is this news true? And second, does it matter? About six weeks ago, I was having dinner with my wife, and my wife, Esther, hands me an envelope, and inside the envelope was a stick object. So I looked inside closer, and I said, to my surprise, it was a pregnancy test. And I looked at it closer, and I saw the line on it, the yes, you are pregnant line. And I looked at my wife, and I said, what? Is this true? And she smiled back and said, yes, it's true. And thank you. And we were just um, so full of joy and greatness and thankfulness to the Lord. A little nervous and scared, but 
overall, we were just so thankful. And so we went to the doctors just to confirm. And the doctor um, took an ultrasound, right? And here is the sonogram of the baby inside the womb. The baby inside my wife's Esther's womb. So is this news true? Yes, it's true. Here's the evidence. And does it matter? I think it matters. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. The reason why I share this is, yes, I wanted to share this good news with my church family and would love your prayers for Esther, my wife, to have a healthy pregnancy, to have a healthy and strong baby. But another reason why I share this with you is in today's passage, we have some very important news. And I know um, that as I was thinking about what to share with our church family today as we celebrated this Advent, Advent season of the greatest news of our Savior, Jesus Christ, bringing us the hope, love, joy, and peace that he's given to us. And, um, but today's news in our scripture is a little more difficult to swallow. It's just as important. And I, um, I think that this will help us wrap up our year, this difficult year we had in 2020. And it will help us, how can help us think about how we can prepare for 2021. The title of the sermon today is The Kingdom of God Begins in Weakness. The Kingdom of God Begins in in weakness. Just to give you some background information in our text today, Mark chapter 8 is a turning point in the gospel of Mark. If you look at chapters 1 through 7, the author of the text focuses on Jesus's identity as the son of man or son of God who has authority, and he displays his authority through his mighty deeds which were his miracles, his healings, casting out demons, and forgiving people's sins. But in chapter 8, things kind of take a turn. And the author focuses on Jesus' identity as the Son of Man, as the Son of God, who has come to suffer and die. So what starts off as a triumphant story now seems to turn into more of a tragedy. But let's take a look at this news today in the passage. If we look at verse 27 here, Jesus asked his disciples, he asked them, who do people say I am? And the disciples answered, oh, the people think that you're a great prophet like John the Baptist or Elijah. And then Jesus asked the disciples personally to them, who do you say I am? And the disciples and Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, if we look at the word Messiah in the text, Messiah means literally the anointed one. It means the fulfiller of Israelites' expectation of a deliverer, the Christ. So this Messiah is not just some ordinary king, but is the, it is the king to end all kings, the king who's going to put everything right the king who is going to defeat evil and justice once and for all. So the disciples' answer was partly correct. 
that Jesus has come as the Messiah to, re to reveal himself as a son of God, to reveal his divine sonship. However, if we look in verse 31, something happens in this next set of verses that flips everything upside down. In verse 31, it says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. The disciples could not accept Jesus' words. Right? Think about it. The disciples, they were on the winning team. Jesus was doing all these great miracles, healing people, casting out demons. So the disciples are on a high right now, right? But then Jesus says, I have to suffer and die. This doesn't make any sense at all. And we can see this through Peter. What does Peter do? He rebukes Jesus. This is the same word that Jesus uses to rebuke demons, Jesus is, Peter is using the strongest possible word to rebuke Jesus. Have you gone mad, Jesus? You see the Peter, you see the disciples and Peter, they had their own view of Jesus. They thought Jesus as the Messiah who would come to rescue them, to save them from Rome, to save them from Caesar, and take over the world as a supreme king. The disciples were, yes, now we're going to be the top nation. Everyone is going to pay respects to us now. That was their view of the Messiah. But Jesus had something else to say. He said, yes, I am the Messiah. But I am not the Messiah that you guys were expecting. For me, I'm not here to come and divide and conquer. I have not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And through my death and resurrection, I will put everything right. I will defeat evil. And if we look here, uh, um, in this verse 31, there's a key word here. And Pastor Timothy Keller, he says that this word must modifies and controls this whole sentence. And so I want to use Pastor Tim Keller's outline because I think he does a great job of unpacking this verse for us. He tells us that in this verse here, where it says that Jesus must suffer, he must be rejected, he must be killed, and he must rise again. If these things don't happen, then he's saying that the world cannot be renewed. Evil and injustice cannot be defeated, and our lives can't be redeemed. So let's take at the first, let's look, I want to kind of talk about the first point is the absolute necessity, the absolute, uh, there was an absolute necessity for, for Jesus to die. The first reason is for our personal necessity. Over time, everyone knows the difference between true love and false love. Fake and authentic love. We know if someone's showing true love or fake love over time. You see, false love aims to use the other person to fulfill our happiness. We only give love as long as we receive it in return. It's a vulnerable love. 
we hold back. But true love, the aim is to use ourselves to spend all of ourselves for the happiness for the happiness of the other person. Our greatest joy is that person's joy. So it is a radical love. True love is an unconditional, a non-vulnerable love because we don't hold anything back and we don't need anything in return. The fact of the matter is, is that we're all incapable of giving this kind of love. In the end, we're all starving and longing for this true love. We have a personal necessity for this true love. Think about the example of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus comes to this Samaritan woman, and he knows what this woman needs. She needs true love. She's been in several relationships. So she's, put, she's placed her love in all these wrong places. And Jesus says to her, he points this out, right? But he's not pointing this out to condemn her like everyone else is. He's pointing this out saying, I can help you. I have this love that you are thirsting for. I love you for who you are. I know that God has made you to be a daughter of God. And I have the love that will help you become a daughter of God. And he says that I have this living water. He says, I have a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus has this love that she's been longing, waiting, and thirsting for her whole life. And that's what we all need. Someone who doesn't need us at all. Someone who loves us for our sake, with all our mistakes and all our flaws, who can give us this love? Jesus. Jesus is the only one. Remember, our triune God, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have been knowing and loving one another through all eternity. Jesus is absolute love. He is infinite love. He has Love for the whole world. And that is the reason why we need Jesus. And when we experience Jesus' love, then our love becomes less manipulative. Our love becomes less conditional, and we can love the way Jesus loves people. Why? Because we don't need people's approval. We're not people pleasers. We're God pleasers. We're Jesus pleasers. That's the source of our love. The well that is springing up to eternal life. It never runs dry. We will never be thirsty with Jesus' love. Not only do we need his love personally, but also we need it legally. There's a legal necessity. And what I mean by that is I want to use an example that Pastor Joe shared with us last week about the car thief that got caught in South Africa. I don't know if you remember. I really liked that example. Right? But I want to add on to this example. Hypothetically imagine, let's say this car thief gets stuck in the car, right? And he gets locked in. There's this automatic self-locking feature in the car. So he's stuck. But what does he do? He ends up breaking the window, right? Inside, and then he escapes. However, the police find him later and put him in jail. And the owner of the car now comes to the police station. And to everyone's surprise, she says, I forgive this man. Drop all the charges. 
On top of that, I will pay for the damages to my car out of my own pocket. What? <laughs> Who's ever going to do that? That's unheard of. That's what kind of what Jesus did for us. But of course, on an exponentially, infinitely larger scale, Jesus died in our place. He dropped all the charges. Charges of what? The debt that we have to pay, the legal debt, which is what? God's wrath and judgment. God, Jesus took that on his shoulders, in our place. He took the death penalty for us. Why? Because he loves us. That's how much he loves us. And the third reason that Jesus had to die was, is what we call cosmic necessity. Jesus' death had to be a violent one. He couldn't just go jump off a cliff. He had to shed his blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The term blood in the Bible means a life given or taken before its natural end. And so Jesus giving his life was the greatest possible payment for the debt of our sin, right? Um, he paid the greatest possible payment. And the interesting thing is, is Jesus didn't die in the hands of gangsters and mob, le mob leaders. He died in the hands of the Jewish chief priest, the teachers of the law, the Roman rulers who were supposed to stand up for justice, but they abused their power. They compromised it and they committed an act of injustice by sentencing an innocent man to death on a cross. The cross exposes the corruption of the worldly systems. And Jesus defeated that. Jesus is now telling, we don't need to be afraid of death and the evil worldly powers in this world because I have defeated death. What is the scariest thing that can happen to us? The worst thing people think is what? Death. But as a child of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, Christ is telling us that death is not the worst thing, but it can be the best thing that can happen to us. Why? Because through death leads us to eternal life into the everlasting arms of the Father. And this is, a hard, this is hard to swallow. Yes, because there is pain and sorrow and suffering. We're not, um, you know, we're not, we're not trying to miss that fact. But because Jesus died for us, he defeated death. That our treasures don't lie here on this earth, but in the kingdom of God. And now we don't need to live a life in fear, but now we can live a life in love and the power of God. So the implications of this verse 31 is huge. Jesus is saying that through his death, he had to die to renew the world, to defeat evil and justice, and to redeem our lives. But he doesn't stop there. If you look in verse 34, this is what he says to his disciples. He says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel 
will save it. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, because I went to a cross, if you want to follow me, you have to go to a cross. If you want to save your life, you need to lose it. If you look at the word life here in the text, it means psyche. It means here, it's from which we get the word psychology. So this life means kind of your identity, your personality, and your personhood. Kind of what makes you distinct. Jesus is not saying you have to lose your sense of being like what makes you distinct. But what he is saying is don't build your identity on gaining things in the world. Isn't that what it says? This is what it says. It says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In collectivist cultures, traditional cultures, one builds their identity by gaining the respectability of their family and children. They find their value in society through their family. In individualistic cultures, one builds their identity based on their career, how much I've accomplished, how much, one, how much money one makes. But Jesus is saying neither of these are going to work because they're both based on performance. They're based on our efforts. And Jesus is saying you can't find your identity based on your efforts. Why? Because what if something goes wrong with your career? What if something goes wrong with the relationship? then your whole self, sense of self falls apart. It's fleeting. It doesn't last forever. The only thing that lasts forever is Jesus, our Savior. He's saying, put all your marbles in me, all your investments in me, all your treasures in me. Then you will find eternal life. Then you will find the life that you're supposed to live. Because why? The career, the family, those are gifts from God. God gave us those gifts. And he's saying, don't put your livelihood in your career and your family. I gave you those things. Come to the one who's the giver of all life. And, you know, I really like the word gospel here. God gives us the tangible, practical application of how we can lose our life. What does he say? He says, for whoever wants to, um, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What can save our life? How do we lose our life? How do we take up our cross? It's through the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the word of God. This is Jesus' love letter to us. And how can we learn how to lose our life? We have to read his scriptures. And I just want to challenge, our, you know, our family church for 2021. If we really want to be the light in this darkness time, we have to read the light. We have to saturate, be saturated in this word every day. We can't just expect a Sunday sermon to move us. That's not going to work, right? God has the power. Every day we come to him because we learn about the gospel story right here. Jesus Christ. What did he do? He began in weakness. How? He became human when he was the king of kings. 
and he died a death on the cross. We cannot come to Jesus for a small pick-me-up just thinking that, oh, I just, I checked off my spiritual box, my requirement. I'm good for this week and then go back to our old life. Jesus wants you, all of you, he wants you to serve him wholeheartedly, especially in these difficult times. And this is the awesome thing. When we know how to find Jesus by losing our life, when we know that the kingdom of God begins in weakness, in verse, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Some people say that this means that the current generation, Jesus' current generation, wouldn't pass away before Jesus returned to earth. But that's not what he is saying here. The early church took this passage to heart. They cherished it to heart well beyond the, de the death of Jesus' generation, right? And what Jesus meant here is that the kingdom of God begins in weakness on the cross, but it would not end there. When we begin in weakness, yes, that is difficult. It is not easy to throw our selfish, our self-determination, you know, our careers, our families, we got to throw those away. And throwing away doesn't mean that, you know, oh, you quit your job and things like that. No, what it means is in comparison to God, those things are nothing because we love God so much. And when we have that type of heart, that posture, where we sincerely come to Christ, then God's saying, you can experience my power. And I don't know about you, but I need God's power. In this darkness time of pandemic, do we have the power to change? No, God has the power. And there's a reason why this is happening. God knows exactly, but we got to come to him. We got to hear his voice. We got to put ourselves out of the way. Our complaining, our stubbornness, our calloused hearts. We got to ask God, melt our hearts away so we can hear your voice. And we will experience his power. Just like the disciples did. What did the disciples experience? After the, the resurrection of Jesus, God opened up the disciples' eyes, their hearts, even more so. And then in the book of Acts, what did the disciples do? They established a church. And what happened in the church? They started to multiply, grow in love and service. And they impacted and influenced the whole world. That's the church today. God is working all the time, even though we don't see it, even though we don't feel it. But how can we experience the power of God? We got to begin in weakness in 2021. We got to get on our knees. We need to pray some practical applications. We hear it all the time, but it's the truth. We have to read God's word. I challenge you to start with the gospels during your devotional times. Read two, or two to three chapters a day. God will speak to you. Try to pray at least 30 minutes a day. In this spiritual warfare, this is our weapon. Prayer is our weapon. And we easily neglect it. Yes, because our flesh is weak. But one great thing about the power and the kingdom of God 
is that there is a communal aspect. If you look at the book of Acts, it wasn't just one or two people in the church, but it was the whole church coming together, devoted to the teachings of the apostles, the word of God, and praying constantly. And God was adding to their number. He was unifying the church. And great things were happening through the church when there was a collective body, when everyone was seriously digging deep into prayer, digging deep into the word of God, like their life depended on it. And that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling the church to really seek Christ, especially in these difficult, dark times. And in this dark time, if we're really seeking the, the kingdom of God, his light will shine through the church. He doesn't want the church to just be idle, just to be chilling during this time. He wants the church to be active in this pandemic, in this darkness. He wants us to really go and through our careers, through our vocations, our family lives, our church lives, really be the salt and the light. But we can't do that with our own strength, friends. We have to come in weakness to the Lord. He gives us the power. It's not through our career, our performance, or by, you know, checking off the spiritual box. But Monday through Friday, we're coming before the Lord. We're spending intimate time with Him and say, Lord, speak to me today. Because you know what, Lord? I don't have the strength to do it. I get so weak in my flesh, but your spirit is strong. Fill us, fill the church up, fill my heart up with your strength, with your cross, so that I can lose myself and find myself in you. I want to read a quote by C.S. Lewis, and this is what he says. He says, give up yourself and you will find yourself. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Friends, we need to lose ourselves. Stop thinking about our own careers and our own families. Because if we keep looking for our own dreams and ambitions, then we will never find Christ. But we know those are all good gifts. So we go to the one who gives us these gifts, the giver, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he will, give, he will add everything else, but we need to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Through his word, I challenge all, even myself, I know it's difficult, but we need to come to God in his word through the scriptures. Read it. Read the gospels, two or three chapters a day. Pray 30 minutes a day, right? And let's do this as a body, collectively, a fellowship of believers, like the book of Acts the early church, and God saying, when we begin in the kingdom of God, when we begin in weakness, it doesn't end there. We get to experience the power of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we seek you earnestly and sincerely. Lord, have mercy on us, sinners. 
Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we may see our wretchedness, that we may see how we fall short every time. But Lord, you had mercy on us to die a sinner's death on the cross that we should have died. And Lord, that is our first step, that if we don't know you, Lord, we, Lord, just admit and repent of our sins. And we say, Lord, done with my old life. I turn now. I want to live my life for you. I believe that you have sent your son to die for me because you love me so much, Lord. And I find my sense of belonging and I find my sense of identity in you. Lord, help us decrease so that you may increase in 2021. And as we end this year, Lord, help all those who are struggling in this pandemic, Lord, that we can be the church. We can live the life that you live through the gospel. We can live that life. You have empowered us. But in order to do that, help us, Lord, bow down and repent. And Lord, our flesh is weak, but your spirit is strong. Lord, help us give you full control over over our our lives as we uh, prepare for the next year. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.